family. So I'll read those over carefully and uh, make note of those. We want to extend a special welcome to our guests who are with us today. If you are a first-time guest with us or maybe just a second or third-time guest, take a moment. Uh, on the right-hand column of the worship folder, sort of a tear-off section called a guest connection card. Complete that for us, if you would. Place it in the offering a little bit later in the service, but we would like to acknowledge your presence with us today. And we welcome each of you in the Lord's house as we worship today together. Many things, again, taking place in our church life. An exciting historical moment occurring next Sunday on the 19th as Pastor David Culp and his family come. Uh, they are in town. Uh, they're getting settled in their home uh, and making progress at that point. And uh, we look forward to next Sunday with David being here to preach his first sermon with us uh, as our new senior pastor. And I know we'll want to welcome him warmly and do some things around that. Included with that is an all-church picnic next Sunday evening at Gene Clock Park. Starts at 6 o'clock uh, for a picnic time. We'll have some worship. That will lead us into a baptismal time at 8 o'clock that evening. Uh, we're needing some volunteers from the church family to help us set up for that. Uh, to do uh, a little bit of grilling uh, and uh, cook some meat for us for supper and some cleanup following. So if you're willing to help that afternoon a little bit uh, in making that uh, a possibility for us, call the church office this week, uh, preferably on Monday. Let us know of your willingness to help, and we'll be glad to uh, find a place uh, you can be a part of that opportunity of ministry with us. But we're looking forward to next Sunday evening, 6 o'clock. Please make a real effort to be with us as a whole church family. We're hoping for 300 persons to be a part of that uh, a celebration time together and uh, hope that you're among that as we uh, worship and fellowship and uh, introduce ourselves to Pastor Culp and his family. Also some other things taking place. We've been a part of Habitat the last several weeks, several months really, but as it rolls down into the latter part of the summer, uh, we're looking at two more dates, August the 14th and the 28th. There's two days that our church family are a part of Habitat. Joe Borsma has been our leader at that point uh, and there's a bro uh, a display out in the gathering area concerning habitat, sign up. Uh, we're needing persons at least 14 of age, years of age and older to be a part of that. Uh, a variety of things occurring on the work sites. Uh, our prime timers are cooking delicious meals for those days. And so uh, join us. Be a part of that uh, build event and uh, support our community in that effort through habitat this year. Also in the gathering area, a place to sign up for Kids Zone, our Sunday morning children's ministry, a registration occurring. Uh, if you have a child, uh, be sure to sign them up from fifth grade down uh, as we begin our fall programming and eyes towards that. Also, the opportunity to serve in one of our children's ministry. There are always some, some areas where we're needing persons to serve and be even greeters in the children's ministry program. So it doesn't mean teaching always, uh, but some other things that are a part of that ministry as well. So talk to Sue Jennings, uh, call the church office and speak to her or see her today. And, but there's a variety of things in children's ministry that need to be uh, happening for us as we approach the fall. And let her know of your willingness to be a part of that with us. This time, um, also in the gathering area, lots of stuff happening in the gathering area. You've got to walk through there today. Love Bundles. Prime Timers are sponsoring a Love Bundles project, which is a, a package of uh, health items and gifts and so forth for children in Haiti. We're collecting those, and we'll be bundling those up in mid-September. Uh, but we wanted to put those out today for the first time to let you see what those look like. If you'd like to be a part of that, we are collecting those items. As you can see, the girls will be back there this afternoon following service to uh, show you what is there a list of the things that you can take home, uh, but we wanted you to be aware of that and encourage you to be a part of that special missions project with us. 
Speaking of missions projects, uh, some slides of our work campers in Budapest, uh, Budapest, Hungary, uh, suburb of Budapest. 17 folks from our church family, some slides as they continue to show, are in the process this week. They've been there a week so far and a week to go. Uh, re renovating a upstairs part of a church building and formulating into a pastor's parsonage. Uh, there's a lot of space up there. They're making a place for the pastor and his family, also uh, for some classrooms for the church. And uh, they're having a good week. The work is progressing well. Uh, everyone's staying healthy and uh, things are going well. So please be praying for the folks from our church family who are over there, 17 of our brothers and sisters uh, in Budokalas and for the church family there. A number of the family uh, in the church congregation there are part of the build with us and are part of that process. And so it's good to uh, share back and forth in that way. Uh, and so they'll have some wonderful stories to tell as they return. And so we'll look forward to their sharing with us at a future date. But be praying for them this week as they wrap up that project. There's a return back here next Saturday uh, for their safety and the uh, Lord's guidance as they continue to minister over there. May the Lord bless each of us today as we worship, as we fellowship together. Lord God, you have blessed us richly. We are in, in a blessed nation and possibly the blessed, the most blessed time of world history. So we thank you for all that you shower on us. We thank you for our freedom. We thank you for our opportunity. And God, we thank you for the gifts that you give us, for the income and the houses and all that we have, our food on our table. God, we ask that you would take these tithes and these offerings and multiply them like you did those loaves and those fishes. We pray, God, that you would uh, change the world, change our state, our county, and our city through the ministries that we can do. Thank you, God, for blessing us. Help us to bless others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My name is Bill Shepard. I am chair of the pulpit committee, and the pulpit committee is about to find themselves out of business. Praise God. And Amen. <laughs> Pastor Culp and his family have arrived, as Pastor uh, Confer had said, and they're enjoying getting to know the community, and they're very excited to roll up their sleeves and get down to work here at First Church, and we're just thrilled to have them. We uh, have one more responsibility the pulpit committee does, and that's putting together an installation service for Pastor Culp. And this is a time for the church family to come together and celebrate with him and his start in his ministry here at First Church. And that is tentatively, I think, actually, planned at this point for September 16th at 4 p.m. Please mark your calendars. We want the church to come and support our new pastor and be a part of this installation service. Um, we will have a guest speaker coming. There'll be other people from around the community and other people that have been significant in Pastor Culp's life. They're going to be there to be a part of that service. You won't want to miss that. It's time for the church family to come together once again and celebrate with our new senior pastor. Today, it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you uh, our last guest speaker put together by the Pulpit Committee. I got a big smile here. Um, Bill Jones has served the Church of God in Michigan as senior pastor of the Sears Church of God and senior, and senior pastor of the Mayo Church of God. At both churches, he was instrumental in leading the congregations in both numerical and spiritual growth. 
He is highly recommended and esteemed as a person of integrity, compassion, and wisdom. Academically, Dr. Jones is a graduate of Anderson University with a BA in Mathematics and Education, Anderson School of Theology with a Master of Divinity, and Grace Theological Seminary with a Doctor of Ministry degree. However, most of all his heart and calling is of a pastor. Bill's heart and calling is to be pastor to pastors. With primary gifts of exhortation, pastor, and leadership, he leads the churches of God in Michigan in the future. Into the future, Bill became a Christian in his early teen years and has faithfully walked with the Lord. His devoted wife, Jolene, has two children who are supportive of him and the work in ministry. Bill enjoys golf, reading, traveling, camping, and leading marriage enrichment seminars with his wife. Will you please help me welcome with a very warm, supportive applause for Pastor Jones. Thank you. Thank you, John. Good morning, First Church. It's good to see you all. We're glad you're here. And I'm glad to come and celebrate with you this last Sunday of pulpit supply. Isn't it wonderful? I'll tell you. I, um, I want to say, first off, thanks to, to Bill Shepard. And Bill, if, if, you're rest, if, the, if the search team is here, those who are part of the pulpit committee, would you stand? Let's give them a hand. They, they worked very hard on your behalf. They did a great job. Thank you for your faithfulness. God bless you. Thank you. I also want to thank your staff who have, been, who have remained faithful and, and taken care of you during this time. And uh, I know Bob's here and probably others around, Greg and some others in other places. But uh, uh, thank the Lord for your staff who remained steady as you've uh, walked through these, uh, these days of search. Uh, I want to tell you that uh, uh, being a state coordinator, uh, uh, the state coordinator in Ohio is not, not real happy with us right now because we have taken one of his very best pastors uh, to come here to St. Joe. But I told him he'll get over it. Some of my best pastors have been taken to go other places, you know, and so it's only fair. But uh, I rejoice with you in Pastor Culp's coming. Um, I want to say to you as you, uh, as you look towards his coming, be patient as he gets to know the community. Uh, one of the things people usually ask a pastor when they first get here is, is what's your vision for our church? And uh, when I was asked that question, I would say, I don't know yet because I need to know you so I can help form it, so God can formulate in my heart a vision. I can't just come and not know you and not know what God, and, and know therefore what God wants you to do. So be patient as he gets to know you, gets to know this community, so he, he can, together with you can form a vision that will make a tremendous impact on transforming this community. Uh, remember, he is not Bob Moss. He never will be. There will be things that he'll do that will be better than Bob, and there will be things that he'll do that won't be as good as Bob. God made Pastor Colt, Pastor Colt. So be patient, allow him to be that man, and he will serve you faithfully. I'm sure of that. I... Uh, I'm do my best, by the way, to be at the installation service. That is a wonderful time because the, 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 we do it. You say, why in the world 4 o'clock in the afternoon? And the reason is so that pastors from other churches can travel and be here as well because uh, our, our church God ministers in the region will also want to come and celebrate uh, your pastor being here. And so we try to do it at a time when other churches can be here too and celebrate. So uh, that's why that time is, is set for you. If you have your Bibles, I want to talk to you today. Uh, about a, I, I was kind of inspired. To, there's a TV show that my wife really enjoyed called Lost. Any of you watched the, the, the TV show Lost? It's, it's going on and on. I understand it's still continuing on. Uh, I, I'm not a, a big TV watcher, so after about three episodes, I'm kind of done. But uh, some people have been following it for a long time. Well, I'm, I'm using that title to theme 
what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about lostness. I want to talk to you about what it feels like to be lost. I, I know that a lot because I, in, in this job I travel to a different church every Sunday. We have 110 congregations in, of the Church of God across the state of Michigan. And uh, it, it's, it, it's, today my wife's not with me, and she's not here. She apologizes. My, our son came home from Germany. He spent the last seven weeks in Germany, and he came home late last night, and she had to be at the airport to pick him up. So that's why she is not with me today. But my, my wife is used to being lost with me. You know, we, we go to various cities, particularly when we're in Detroit, and, and going to, we have about 20 churches in Detroit area, and I, I'm always getting lost in Detroit. I go over there, and, and, so, uh, and it's a terrible feeling when you're lost, and, and particularly if you're getting close to time when you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. You know, you know the feeling, the, the kind of the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you feel a little sweaty. And, and, uh, and as a man, you know, I, I, t- I, I drive a little faster. I, I think I'm convinced if I go faster, I'll, I'll, I'll get unlost more quickly. I don't know what that is, but, but uh, you know the feeling of being lost. Jesus, in the 15th chapter of Luke, talks about lostness. He talks about it uh, in term to the people who were found. He, it's an interesting passage. Uh, so if you'll turn with me to Luke 15, I want to talk about what it feels like to be lost, how you can be found, and how God, how much God loves you. 15th chapter of Luke. While you're turning there, let me tell you a story about being lost. Uh, last, about a year and a half ago, last, end of last May, uh, I was called with uh, Pastor Jim Sparks, pastor of our, the church we got at North Avenue in Battle Creek, Michigan, to go to England and preach the uh, camp meeting for the Church of God of Great Britain. And, uh, it, you know, that was a great joy for us. And so Jim and I uh, were talking about, well, we, we're going to England. We ought to see some sights. So we, we planned a day in the front end of the trip and a day on the back end of the trip when we could spend time in London and, and see some of the sights. So we, we fly to London, it takes us about eight or nine hours to get to London, and uh, we get, our plan was we were going to be landing about nine o'clock in the morning, we would take our luggage to the, to the uh, motel where we were staying, which was right near Heathrow Airport, and then we were going to go from there, and we were going to go spend the day in London. Now, those of you who travel, and many of you I'm sure do, you know that when you travel overseas like that, it's, it, you don't sleep well on an airplane, you know, we, we were nine hours on the plane, we get to Heathrow, we... Get our, I get my luggage. Jim didn't get his. That, it did eventually come. But uh, we, we found our, mot- our, ho- our hotel. We checked in, and we took off to go to London. Now, to get from Heathrow to London is, is a pretty good trip. We had to take a bus, uh, and we took a bus for quite a distance from, the, from where we were at to a, uh, to a train station. And at the train station, we had to go up and down some stairs similar to the ones in front of me here, although there may have been more than this. You go upstairs, over catwalks, downstairs, and, and we, we went over two of those, finally got to the train station, took the train into where we could get on the tube, the, the London Underground. Got on the Underground, made two transfers, and finally, after two transfers Underground, we came up, and the first thing we saw was Big Ben. Man, it, it's, it's an incredible sight. In fact, I took that picture as I came up out of the subway. That's the first thing I saw. You see it on TV all the time, but it's so cool to see it in real life. That was neat. And uh, right next to it is the Parliament, and, and uh, that is actually Buckingham Palace that you're seeing right there. Uh, the, we didn't see the Queen. My son was in England just a week ago, and he told me, he said, I think I saw the Queen out and about. 
I said, no, I doubt if you did, son. He said, well, I'm sure I'd, she was walking in the park. No, it wouldn't have been the queen, son. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we got to see Buckingham Palace. Saw a number of sites that were very interesting and, and uh, went to, to Westminster Abbey, a lot of good things. We spent the day seeing the sights of London. Now you understand we've flown for nine hours, didn't sleep well, have been running now for probably 10 hours seeing the sights of London, and we head back. Now we have to go back the tube, take the tube to the train, over the steps, find a, find a bus. Well, after we, got off the, after we got off the train and we're heading towards the bus terminal, it struck us that we were totally exhausted. I mean, we were tired. <laughs> and so our decision was this. Let's see if we can find a taxi that'll take us home. Okay? Well, the cool thing is, you can see there's a big bus there. Everybody knows a double-decker. But next to the double-decker bus is a, is a black taxi cab. You ever wondered why they're so tall? That's a, it's the coolest thing. I, we asked the guy, why are your taxis so tall? They still have a, a law in London that you have to be able to wear your top hat inside the taxi. <laughs> yeah, why change old laws? You know, you could keep running on the things that were old. Well, that we found a taxi, took us back to our hotel. While we're sitting in the comfort of that taxi, going back to our hotel, Reverend Sparks and I were discussing with one another, you know, tomorrow... We've got to do the same thing. We're going to Tottenham, England, which is on the other side of London. London's a pretty good-sized city, very large city. And we're going to have to take now our briefcases, our luggage, and all this stuff, and we're going to have to ride the bus, go over all the, the, these, these uh, stairs, get to a, the train, train to the, to the uh, underground, and then there's going to be four transfers on the underground for us to get to Tottenham. We looked at each other sitting in the comfort of that, of that uh, taxi and said, Let's take the taxi. He said, that's a good idea. So we asked the taxi driver. Now, we didn't know. The, uh, the taxi driver was a gentleman from the Middle East. Uh, Ahmad or something was his name. And so we asked him, do you know how to get to Tottenham? He said, I, I, I know where it's at. Okay. He said, how much would it cost us? He gets on the, on the radio and talks to his uh, dispatcher and says, how much would it take to take people from, from Heathrow to Tottenham? The guy says, 60 pounds. That's $120. Jim and I looked at each other and said, that's a good price. <laughs> so the next morning at 9 o'clock, Ahmad shows up at our, at our uh, hotel. We load our luggage and our briefcases and all the materials we have for our, to, 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 to preach and teach these conferences. And we get in and we take off with the taxi driver heading towards Totten. The first thing that the, the taxi driver does, Ahmad hands to me a little square electronic gizmo. It says Tom Tom on it. And he says to me, do you know how to work one of these? <laughs> now, I, I, last week I happened to be with, uh, with Bob Moff. Bob has one of those in his car now. He knows how to use his. I did not know how to use it. I'm sitting here tinkering with this electronic gizmo, and I have this woman's voice telling me, you are lost, turn back. You are lost, turn back. You know, that's all we could get out of it. So I said, no, I don't know how to fit work this. He hands a big, big uh, stack of, of maps to me, actually hands it to, to Pastor Sparks, who's on this side, and says, you're going to have to find our route because I've never been to Tottenham. We were lost. We were. We were lost. I thought, we'll never see our families again. <laughs> so Jim is thumbing through this, this, huge, this huge book of maps trying to find Tottenham. The miracle of miracles is he finds it. And he finds, he starts saying, okay, the next street we're coming up should be 
Talbot. And the next three we're coming up to shall be, and, and he names them, and we are on our way. We, he knows where we're at, and he sees where we're supposed to go. There's this relief when you realize we're no longer lost. You're two American men. We're not going to spend the rest of our life in London. <laughs> we finally get to Tottenham. It took two hours to drive across London to get to where we met with the church there. And it was a wonderful relief to not be lost anymore. There are lots of people in our world today who are lost. In fact, all of us, somewhere along the line, have been lost. Not just physically, but spiritually. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every one of us have been lost. I want to talk today for a few minutes about being lost and how God views us and how we can be found. I'm going to be reading from the first, chap- first verse of the 15th chapter of St. Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This passage disturbed me some when I read it because I, I was reading it and saying, Okay, I know who the sinners and tax collectors, but look who the people are that are muttering. It's the religious folk who are upset with Jesus. He's hanging around with these, this, this kind of unseemly bunch. And uh, as, I was, as I was preparing this message, I, I prayed, Lord, you know, who are the, who are the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of today? And uh, as if I heard a voice, and I didn't, but as if I, I felt it inside of me, the Lord said, Bill, uh, they are you. It's you. It's you who follow me. You're the religious leaders today. And he said, I want you to listen closely to what I have to say. Because these stories that we're going to read now, these parables that Jesus shares are said for us. Not for those who are lost, but for us. Listen to what he says. He then told him a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. And says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He goes on to tell another parable, one that you are very familiar with. It's known as the prodigal son. About a son who said to dad, I I want my inheritance now. I want to do what I want to do. I'll talk about that parable in a few moments. I think here in these three parables that Jesus shares with us, he explains to us the concept of being lost and how important it is to him that you and I be found. How important it is to him that those who are, not, who are still lost, who are not found out there, who are hurting, be found. It speaks to the mission of the church. The first lostness comes to do with a sheep. 
Now, when I pastored in Sears, Michigan, anybody know where Sears is at? Anybody here? A few people have been in the northern part of the state, okay? Sears is the one church that takes the Sears credit card. And uh, no. <laughs> It was my first church that I pastored. Spent nine years in Sears, Michigan. Had a wonderful ministry there and got to build a new building and see the church grow, and it was wonderful. One of the persons in that church with me was a shepherd. He, he, he raised sheep. And I said, I said to him, I said, I'd like to talk to you some about sheep and raising them, because I, I, I was raised in the city. I don't know much about sheep, but there's a lot in the Bible about sheep. So can you tell me some things? One of the things that he taught me about sheep were that, that, that sheep get lost really innocently, that sheep don't look up very much. They, they eat a tuft of grass, and they walk, and they eat another tuft of grass, and walk, and eat another tuft of grass. And as the day goes on, they just keep their head down, kind of eating. And, and before you know, when they look up, they're a long way away from the, the rest of the sheep. They've, they've gotten away from, from the herd, or whatever they call a bunch of sheep. And he, and he said, that, that's how they often get lost. They just kind of wander away, kind of innocently. They, they, it's not like they intended to go out where, some, where an animal could get them or where they get in trouble. They just kind of wander. That's one of the typical aspects of sheep. There's a lot of us who get lost that way rather, rather innocently. There's a lot of people in this world today who are, who are not mad at God. They don't hate the church or the Bible. They just don't have any, that's never been part of their life. And so they just kind of live in their life. They're doing what they do. And don't intend to be an antagonist to the church. They just don't have any intention to be part of the church because they have no idea why you would want to be. It's very innocent how those people get lost. Some of us have found lostness in in things like uh, when we were a teenager and someone said to us, well, hey, just one drink won't hurt you. And then we find out that we've got some sort of, of latency toward that. Or, or you, can drink, you can smoke marijuana because it, 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 it it's not addictive like other stuff is, and, but it led into other things. And, uh, you know, even as adults, some of us have, have gotten lost by, have you ever gone to a store and gotten too much change back and felt like, I got a deal there? It's an easy way to start thinking every time you get it, every time if you do that, you see it can lead you towards being dishonest because, gee, you know, the, these stores make a lot of money anyway. You know, that's the attitude of many employees in business today. Eh, they're making all this money. If I take this pencil or if I take that, 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 this, this equipment, that's no big deal. A lot of us get lost very innocently, but we're still lost. And the wonderful passage that the, the, the scripture is that it says here that, that the angels in heaven rejoice when a sheep is lost. That, that in the midst of that innocent lostness, there is a shepherd who goes looking for us, who leaves all of those who are still there, you know, in the sheepfold. He leads them and goes and finds that one. And, you know, it's interesting how he treats that sheep when he finds it. He doesn't kick that sheep and say, you dumb sheep. Why don't you stay with the rest of them? No, it says he takes that sheep and he places it on his shoulders. And he goes back and he calls everybody around and says, let's have a party for my sheep that was lost has been found. It's a celebration. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that if you get lost and you got lost very innocently, you just got into some things that, that, that messed you up. You know, maybe you, started, you, you went to the casino one time. But you found that, man, it's just hard for me to qu- quit gambling. 
Isn't it good to know that if, if you got lost instantly somehow, that there's a God who's looking for you, who wants to put you on his shoulders and bring you back, and there's going to be rejoicing in heaven over you getting back. Now there's a second kind of lostness described here, and it's the lostness of the coin. Here a woman has ten coins, and she, she reminds me of myself. How many of us men have taken change out of our pocket and, and thrown it on the table? You know, we know where it's at. And he goes, she goes back to look for the coins, and she finds nine of the ten of them. One of them is missing. There's a little less innocence in this. She, she can't blame somebody else. The coins didn't get lost on their own. The coins had, they were just kind of there. She did something that caused the coins to get lost. She was careless. I, uh, it reminds me of myself. You know, I, uh, very often I can't find my, my reciprocating saw. And the first person I ask is, Jolene, where's my reciprocating saw? <laughs> Ladies, can you relate to your husband ever doing that to you? You know, as if she was out using this giant machine, you know. But she must know where it went. It couldn't have been me that put it in the wrong place or laid it where it shouldn't be. There's nobody to blame but yourself. If it's, if, if in this case, the lostness is because somebody's done something wrong. Someone's been careless. There are many people in our world today who are lost because of carelessness of other Christians. There are those who are lost because someone said they, a Christian said they would keep their word and they didn't do it. Or they saw us go someplace that they didn't think a Christian ought to go and, and, and it damaged their spirit. There are people lost today. You know, I, I, go to, I see them every church I've ever been. There's always been somebody I've visited and said, you know, I used to go to church, but so-and-so, they did me wrong. It, you hear it all the time. It's, it's out there. There are people who are lost today because others are watching us. And if we don't be very careful with how we live our lives, they may remain lost. I, uh, anybody country western music fan here? A few of you? Okay. I, I admit I, I, when in my car I listen to country western music. I like to listen to it. There's a song the other day, actually I was watching on TV. I, I was thumbing through and this, this, it was a, a country video caught my eye. And it was a guy singing. He was driving down the road in his pickup truck with his son sitting next to him, licking an ice cream cone. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a touching video. And they're going down the road, and the boy's eating his ice cream, and Dad has to slam on the brakes or something. And when he does, the cone drops out of the boy's hand, and the little boy swears. And, and his dad says, Son, where did you learn to talk like that? And he said, Well, from you, Dad. Dad felt pretty bad. So the next verse kind of goes to Dad in the barnyard, thinking about what happened in the truck. And he kneels down in the barnyard and prays, God, my son's watching me. Help me to live my life so that he won't go wrong. He's watching me. Help me to say the right things and do the right things. And it, it's, it's a moving prayer as he prays there in the barnyard. What he doesn't know is his son is, is right around the corner, just kind of peeking around the corner, seeing Dad kneeling in the barnyard. Third verse goes to his son, bedtime, kneeling by his bed praying, praying a beautiful childlike prayer. And his dad says to him, son, where did you learn to pray like that? And he said, well, 
I learned it from you, Dad. Now, for me, I'm, I'm soft-hearted. I, I watch that thing and just cry every time I see it now. I, I, in fact, if, I, if I'm thumbing through the channels and I see that, I want to see it again, I just weep when I see that because the truth is our kids do watch us. Not just our kids, but your co-workers and the folk who are around you and your family members and your neighbors. And if we are careless in how we live our lives and the words that we say, or if we don't keep a confidence that we promise to keep, we could cause someone to be lost because of our own carelessness. That's the illustration of the sheep. Now there's a third illustration that Jesus gives that he gives in his, as it's the, it's the story of the, we call the prodigal son. You know the story about the young man who said, Dad, I don't want to be living by your rules. Dad, I, I, don't, I just want my money so I can go and do what I want to do. I can live my life. I don't need anybody to tell me what I need to do. And his dad gives him his inheritance. And he goes off, and as long as he has money, he, you know, he's got friends, and they're all around him, and things are going fine. But he finally runs out of his money, and he finds himself in a terrible place, in a pig trough there, and, and he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he thinks, man, even my dad's servants are better off than this. Yeah, I love it. It says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, I'll go back to my father. And I'll just ask him to be one of his servants because they, they're better off than I am here. The issue of this lostness is a little different. There's a lot less innocence here. In fact, there's purposefulness here. This son chose to leave. He chose his sin. He said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. No ancient book is going to tell me how to live. My parents, I don't care how long they've lived and how wise they think they are, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's my life. I'll live it. There's not much innocence there. It was a choice. It's a third way to be lost. To, to simply recognize that I can do what I want to do and I'm going to do it. What's wonderful is that you see in this story that every day, you get the impression that every day Dad got up and he looked to the road to see maybe if today would be the day that his son would come home. And on that day when his son come home, when he sees him coming over the rise, you don't see Dad standing there just uh, going. That's how we sometimes treat those who get lost, purposely get lost. We, we, we want to have them come and have them grovel and, and tell us how bad they are. And, and uh, that's not what you see in this father. You see this story in this father who goes running to his son to meet him and to throw his arms around him. He says, let's kill the fatted calf and let's have a party for my son who was lost has come home. There's a temptation for us when we know people who have chosen wrong to be really hard on them. But that's not how God views them. God is this loving Father who's anxious to see them come home and who wants to throw His arms around them and throw a party so, as the angels in heaven sing because the one who is lost has been found. There's three ways to be lost. You can be lost very innocently, just kind of wandering and doing your thing and not knowing any better. 
You can be lost because someone has done something to you and, or, or you've heard them or you saw them do something and, and, and you get lost because you just, it, it just doesn't make sense to you or it hurts you really bad. And you can be lost because of choice. My last pastorate, I was a pastor of the Church of God in Mayo, Michigan. Some, one, I saw one hand, I knew where Sears was. Some of you know where Mayo's at? See, Sears is in the middle of nowhere. Mayo is on the very edge of nowhere. It's, it's way up. It's as far away from St. Joe as you can get on the other side of the state, north. And I loved living up there. I was there for 12 years. Uh, we had a wonderful ministry. Had a young man who came to Christ there who was kind of a, he was kind of a, a Yule Gibbons kind of guy. He knew the outdoors. He was a, a backwoodsman. He was also a businessman. He was a unique combination of being this backwoodsman businessman. In Oscoda County, there, there's a, a place called Foley Swamp. Foley Swamp is a huge swamp. I mean, it's, it's acres and acres and tens of acres and hundreds of acres of swamp. And there's wonderful wildlife there. You can go into Foley Swamp and you can see bear and you can see all kind of, of other of deer and, and uh, all kind of, of, of flowers. and you know, Foley Swamp's an interesting place, but it's a terrible place to get lost. This friend of mine who, who attended the church there was the guy they called when someone got lost in Foley Swamp, and usually three or four times a year, someone got lost in Foley Swamp. They would, uh, they'd go in there looking for that flowers or looking for bear, looking for deer, looking for whatever you might find in a swamp. And they, they wouldn't take with them a compass. One of the worst things, you did always take a compass in the Foley Swamp. But they'd go in and get lost. Word would get out and they would go get Mark Patullo. Mark is my friend. And Mark would track them and find them. He said there's some interesting things about people who get lost in Foley Swamp, Pastor. They said they almost always do the same things. He said, when they realize that they're lost, one of the first things they do is shed all the weight that they're carrying. The very things that could help them survive, they drop them right in the, right in the path, and they let go of them because they feel like they're weighing them down. The second thing they do is they start running. You know, it kind, of, kind of reminds me of, of being, a, you know, as a man, you know, maybe ladies have done this too, where you're lost and so you drive faster. Even though you don't know where you're going, you go faster. Well, you did, they, you, they said they, they almost inevitably begin to run. And they'll run and run. And he said what they tend to do is to run in circles. They keep coming back to where they were at. He said it's a terrible thing. When you find these people, he said they're often foaming at the mouth. He said they're, they're, they're bug bit all over. They're, they're, they're thirsty. He said they're, they're, they're just a mess when, when I find them. But he's really good at finding them. Struck me is that, that people who get lost kind of do the same kind of things, you know. We, when we get lost, we leave behind the very things we need, the, the Bible, the church, uh, for people who care about us, we, we walk away from them. That we often run as fast as we can run toward whatever we think is going to give us pleasure or peace or whatever it might be. And we usually find ourselves coming back around in circles. Mark Patolo is one of my dearest friends. He's one of the guys, if, if, if my life depended on it, I would depend on Mark. And Mark uh, knew I was, I'm a golfer and a tennis player and a number of different things I did. I wasn't a big outdoorsman. But Mark told me this. He said, Pastor, 
If you ever go into Foley Swamp and get lost, he said, this is what I want you to do. Sit down. Sit down. And I'll find you. Mark told me this in Bible, men's Bible study I was in one day. And the thought came to me. Scripture says, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. That if you're lost today out of innocence, or if you're lost today because someone has hurt you or done something to you, or if you're lost today because of your own choices, God would say to you, be still. Sit down. Stop running. I love you. I'm the Father who wants to put His arms around you. I'm the shepherd who wants to put you on my shoulders. I'm the one who's sweeping the house looking for you. If you'll just sit down, I'll find you. Today, my friends, there may be those of us here who are lost. And I want to say to you that God loves you. He's looking for you. He's searching for you. And He wants to bring you home. He wants to bring you home. He loves you. For those of us who are found, Jesus has called us as His church to go look for those who are lost and to bring them back on our shoulders, to hug them and love them. You may have children or parents. You may have co-workers or neighbors who need Jesus. And they're lost. And the Lord is saying, you go look for them. You look for them and you love them and you bring them home. There are three ways described here about being lost. But the wonderful message here is there's one who is searching for you, who's not going to scold you, not going to hurt you, but who's going to love you, who's going to bring you home so that the angels in heaven can celebrate. God bless you, church. God bless you who might be lost and you just said, that's me. I want to tell you there's one looking for you who wants to bring you home. God bless you, church, as you, as you go looking for those who are lost. Bring them home. Love them with the love of our God. And their lives will be transformed. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, because... Each one of us, somewhere along the line, have been lost. And it feels so good to be found. It feels so good to be loved, to be forgiven. We thank you, Father. We pray that that mission of finding others, that they might know that joy and that peace would be ours. That we'd be effective for you in being your hands and feet your loving arms and your strong shoulders to bring home those who are lost. In Jesus' name, amen.